Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning, church. The Bible reading for today is taken from 1 Kings 17, verse 1. And when I'm done with the reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. And you respond by saying, thanks be to God. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except as my word. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for that extremely long reading. I wonder how much rehearsal you have to go for that. Good morning, everyone. Well, nice to have us here. My name is Femi. You are joining us for the first time. We are so happy to have you. And uh, you've come at a good time where we are starting a new series, a new series, a new sermon series. Um, but before I get into that, I do want to um, say something. You know, oftentimes I get to the privilege of preaching here and, um, you know, try and bring God's word and all that. But sometimes, I won't lie, I try to use this place as a bit of a, like an open therapy session where I can just confess or say certain things on my heart. I hope you understand. And I do want to get something off my chest a little bit here. Um, call it a secret or call it something. I do want to say this about myself. Um, I don't like getting close to people. I mean, who wants that? And don't get me wrong, the, the reason why I don't like getting close to people is because of something, something profound. If I get close to people, I may just get to know them more. You understand why? Who, who, wants the, who wants that? Because you see, some of us already understand this. Some of us who are married, you know, when you met your wife or you met your husband at the time, everything was very good. When you guys were in separate houses. But now you've come together and you're like, why did I move in with you? Now I know that you snore. I know that that hair doesn't really belong to you. I know your breast stinks first thing in the morning. Do you understand? I don't like getting close to people. You get to know them. Now, I'm really happy City Kids have come back. I love the kids. I love seeing them. In fact, one of the best things I like about being a pastor is when they say, you know, when an eight-year-old says, that's my pastor, that's my pastor. I love it. I love your kids. I love to have them on my lap. Love to, all of those things. But I don't want them coming to my house to spend the night. I don't want to know them that much because when they do come, it's then I realize that they don't like taking their plate to the kitchen. They walk barefooted all around. What's wrong with that? Meet me later. That's why your parenting is so bad. And worst of all, many of them don't flush after they use the toilet. Why do you want to know people? You see, the truth is that sometimes, and a lot of times, we want to know people based on an idealized version of themselves. We don't want to know them in their totality. We have this idealized notion of them. We want to keep it that way, and that's why we keep our distance. But the problem with that is that we end up dehumanizing them because we don't know them in their whole totality of their humanity. And one problem with that is that you are unable to build a proper relationship with that person because you only want to build a relationship with the person based on the image that you have created of them. But the further problem is that if you cannot fully understand this person's humanity, then it's also impossible to learn what it means to be human from that person. After you've dehumanized them, how can you learn what it means to be human from them? And that's also similar to what the New Testament people and people who came after Elijah and most of us do with the man Elijah. You see, when we think about Elijah, we often think about what? Demonstrations of power. One aspect of his life. But we don't take the full person of Elijah. 
You see, James chapter 5, in verse 17, says, Yes, Elijah did some wonderful things, but Elijah was a man just like what? You and I. A human being just like you and I. In other words, if you look at the life of Elijah as much as has been given to us in the Bible, we can learn what it means to be truly human. But we cannot and we dare not look at just one aspect of his life. And so in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to try my best to do what I don't like. I want us to get close to Elijah. And one of the things you'll find out if you are trying to learn to be human about the story of Elijah is that the story of Elijah is not really about Elijah. It's really about the God that Elijah served. You see, if you want to learn to be truly human in God's world, you cannot live it, live that life without living for the true God. And so I pray at the end of this series, God will equip us to live a life of true humanity in this complex world of his by trusting in him. Amen? Amen. But this morning, we are just introduced to Elijah. Elijah is a prophet of God's judgment. And can I tell you that there are fewer things that are more important today than the presence of God's prophet in an evil world. We live in a very complex, dark world. And in the presence of this, there are so many false prophets and so many false prophecies what we can do is to learn from Elijah how to be a true and effective mouthpiece of God. I pray that today, after we finish this, that God will start to bring about the rising of an army of prophets, the rising of a collective prophetic body that will testify to the world that Jesus is Lord and that those people God will use to spearhead the change that we all need in our hearts, in our city, and in our nation. So let us pray as we look at this message that we've titled, These Are the Days of Elijah. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ, our Lord, Holy Spirit. The times are dark, the days are evil. But you said it is at that point that we shall arise. For the glory of the Lord has come. And it has risen upon us. Father, I pray, Lord God, as we go into your word, I pray that the same spirit that was on Elijah shall rest upon us. Father, I pray, Lord, that the spirit of Elijah that opens the eyes of the blind, that opens the heart, O God, of those who are dull, Lord God Almighty, that gives um, a healing, O God, to those who are spiritually sick. Let that spirit rest with us, O God, today. And do something absolutely revolutionary new, O God, to the praise and glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We ask all of this in his name. Amen. Amen. All right, so these are the days of Elijah. We'll look at it under, normal service resumed, under three headings. <laughs> One, um, the, the, emergence, the emergence of Elijah. Two, the word of Elijah. And three, the power of Elijah. The emergence of Elijah, the word of Elijah, and the power of Elijah. Now... Eh? Water. <laughs> if you ever plant in a church, ordain Dickens first. They look out for you. Thank you, sir. <laughs> now, um, ladies and gentlemen, you know, I should, especially if you are new here, I should announce, I said it before, but, um, I, or somebody said it, I don't know. That I'm lead pastor here. That's, that's a title of mine. It's not my best title. Most of you know LP is not my best title. I usually prefer CSTO, which is Chief Storytelling Officer. But I'm not going to bring the Chief Storytelling Officer to you today. I want to introduce you to another uh, title of mine. I've not, I don't often bring this one out, right? This is like my... Like, uh, my um, Gandus Gandoki. You know, you've only seen the... <laughs> The, what they call it, the, uh, uh, what's that one? Toki. Indaboski Pahose. So this one is mine, but there are other ones that I have not yet released. So this one, I'm not just the LP, I'm not just the CSTO, I'm the GQM. You like that, I mean, the GQM. The Grand Quiz Master. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to announce to you that the time that you all have been waiting for is here. It is here, the time has now arrived. 
that most of you have not yet taken tests in the last 20 years. They're going to take a test now. Let us see whether those things that you wrote on your, uh, your certificate, whether those certificates are actually true. I have a quiz for you. All right? It's a quiz. It's a simple quiz. Five questions. Yeah, five questions. I'm going to give you a, the name of one person, just one person. I'll say the first name. And if you know the surname, just say it. I will see whether on the screen whether that person uh, is the right one. All right? So the first name, if I say, no, not yet. Too late. That, that's, after, that's after they have actually announced. All right? Oh, my God. Boris. Uh, yes, okay. All right, how about this one, Sonny? Ah, all right, okay. How about this one, Barack? Ah, is it? Oh, true, true. How about this one, Ghani? Ah, ah, you guys are also, all right, you, okay, okay, then you get last. How about this one, Peter? Eh? Peter. No, Peter, Peter. Peter Rabbit. Fake certificate, all of you, right? Who is that? You? Oh my God! You see, one of the things I don't like is, you know, when you have arrived, when your name—they don't have to say your surname after you, right? You know that you have arrived. But sometimes, some people almost feel like you should know somebody. They say something like, eh, "When I was with Ada," I'm like, "Who is Ada? Why did you just drop that there?" Or eh, Fumi was saying, "Wait, stop! Who is Fumi?" I don't like that thing. Because if there are people, they should, if they are not anyone, they should get introduced. But that's exactly what happens with Elijah here in verse 1. He says, now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe said to Ahab. I mean, wait, who is he? Who is Elijah? If you've been reading the Bible from front to cover uh, uh, up until now, this is the first time we hear about Elijah. How are we meant to know him? How can you just drop him into this narrative? And then he says, he said to Ahab, how dare Elijah speak to the king? Who is he? What are his credentials? Who are his parents? What school did he go to? What are his seminary qualifications that he can speak to Ahab? But you see, all of these things don't matter. Because what you need, if you want to really know Elijah, you need to know something about the unprecedentedly evil reign of Ahab. And for us to understand that, you need to back up to chapter 16, the previous chapter, and the closing verses in 29 to 34. But let me give the context. When Israel was established as a nation, they had kings. The first king of the 12 tribes was Saul. After Saul, you had David. After David, you had his son Solomon. But Solomon, right, married quite a number of wives. They said about 700, and many of them from foreign countries. And so his heart started to be drawn towards foreign gods, idols. And then God said, you know what? Because of this, I am going to split the kingdom, but not in your time, in the time of your son, Rehoboam. And so what happened in Rehoboam's time, the fourth king, the kingdom split into two. The southern kingdom had two tribes, and that's called the kingdom of Judah. And the northern kingdom had 10 tribes, that's called the kingdom of Israel. Now, Israel's first king was a guy called Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, right? He started off well, but eventually he, in he introduced bull worship to the kingdom of Israel. God didn't really like that. And so things weren't going down very well. The sub subsequent kings that came after him, they didn't do any better. But the fifth king of Israel's name was Omri. And Omri, it says in, chapter, in 1 Kings uh, 16, verse 25, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord and sinned more than all others before him. But you know, as most of us here, right, we want our children to achieve more than we have ever achieved, isn't it? So Omri's wish actually came to pass because he then gave birth to Ahab. And what does it say about Ahab in 30 and 33? It says about Ahab that Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of the others before him. In fact, in verse 33, the second part, it says that Ahab did more to exasperate or to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than the kings, all the kings of Israel before him. How did he achieve this? 
receipt in verse 31 to 33. Let me just break it down a little bit. The first thing he did, <laughs> just paying ode to Solomon, is he married a foreigner. Not 700, <laughs> but she was worth those 700. <laughs> Her name was Jezebel. She was a daughter of the king of the Sidonians. And Jezebel, you know, she came in, she saw Israel. This is nice. This is a nice place. It would be nice to have some people come in. Right? So what do I do? She set up a point-based system. And in that point-based system for immigration, you know these things, right? In that point-based system, it wasn't very easy to come in through. Like, if you are just a doctor, you may get some of the points, but that's not enough, apart from the fact that you can't be over 40 and all of those things. So 25 points here, 30 points here, many of those things. But there was one single thing. If you are this thing like this, eh, that point-based system, like, the point-based system was like, you have to score 300. If you got this one, 1,000 points. You know what you have to be? You have to be a prophet, a, a priest of Baal. Ahab was, if you were a priest of Baal, you would get your PR immediately. In fact, it says later that there were about eight as 450 in 1 Kings um, uh, uh, 18 verse 19. It said there were 450 prophets of Baal and 400, and, uh, 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Not only did they get a PR, they were getting allowance. Dining in the royal palace. And when you have that influx of prophets and you have that influx of priests, what do you think is going to happen? Well, you now go, go back to 16 verse 30, 31, 32. Ahab instituted Baal worship. Not only was he worshiping an, uh, a Baal, he put an altar to Baal, he put a temple to Baal, and then they built Asherah poles. It was a stinky, spiritually stinky city. For these were the days of Ahab. But there's one more thing he did to just prove it. And the narrative tells us. You see, just when after Israel had come out of Egypt, Moses delivered them. They were going to the promised land. But God told Moses because of certain things he did, which um, uh, I think we read, uh, it was preached to us last week. That Moses wasn't going to, he wasn't going to go into the promised land, but their new leader was a man called Joshua, Moses' protege. And Joshua is bringing them in. But now their biggest test was the city of Jericho. It was a wicked city, but they had fortified themselves with these very thick walls. And nobody had been able to conquer Jericho. But God promised Joshua that they would. And miraculously, the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. And they were able to defeat Jericho, the people of Jericho. But then, Joshua pronounced a curse on anyone that will build the fortress of Jericho again. He said that the person would, this Joshua 6 verse 26, the person will lay his foundations on his firstborn and that he will set up the gates on his what, lastborn. He will lose his first son and last son. Now, let me, I know you're all Christians. I know the power of God rests upon you, all of those things. If you hear that there was a curse that was placed in a place, that will lose your first child and lose your last child. Would you try and do what it curses? I'm just asking. Will you go? You know one thing that I love about Africans, even African Christians, we, they, they said that there, there is a devil there. You don't go and say the power of God to go and say, we move away. It's like, why do we want to try? No king, nobody defied Joshua's curse for centuries. No one dared to even try to bring up the fortification of uh, the, uh, the fortresses of, 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 of Jericho until Ahab. For these are the days of Ahab. Anything works. So in verse 34, it says, In his time, in Ahab's time, Heel of Bethel then went to build it. It wasn't that Heel just thought, I want to do it. When it says in his time, it's indicative that it was by the direction of Ahab. He defied the curse. Now, he sent somebody else, and he says about here, unfortunately, <laughs> after the fortress was built, there was another monument. It was two graves. It was the grave of his first son and his last son. The days were evil, for these were the days of Ahab. It was a dark time. And even now, in our own city, Lagos here, and many places in this Nigeria, there is such a giving of our hearts to idols. And do you know what always comes when a people are giving to idols? The dehumanization of others. 
And you may think that the days are dark. Maybe it's just Jeroboam and Omri. Because they can get darker. It may be days of Ahab. Our quest for money, our quest for power, many times, and our quest for comfort, they end up making us dehumanize other people. Very recently, my wife and I's uh, driver got a call. He said he had to go back home very quickly. Why? He said because his house is about to be destroyed. What? So he goes back. Luckily for him, they have not got into his street. And what had happened was that a lot of people who don't have the kind of um, uh, earnings that most of us have is that in his own case, in their case, there was an estate. An estate with just a lot of land. And many of the people who don't have access to housing had to stay in that land. They just take up some places. In his own case, he actually knew the owner of the land and was able to build something. But then he told us about a number of people whose houses were just, people just go there. In fact, he called it a cleanup. That they were trying to clean up. Human beings become dirt, germs, vermin, that we try to clean up because we don't like them destroying the look of our estate. But you know, there are people that whose houses are burnt and all of those things. But there was one man, a welder. And that welder had, despite all the difficulties that we have in this city, had tried to fend for himself. He had a workshop, a welding workshop. And he had given him a little bit of money. His children were not here. His wife wasn't here because he couldn't afford to keep them. So he sent them to the village and he sent money. And to his dismay, eventually, they destroyed his workshop. The man was absolutely dejected. He was devastated. And so he felt, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. Let me just go back home and go and think about how I can put my life back together. Let me just go and have some respite. And so he goes back home. What does he find? His house had also been burned. He didn't wait. He didn't take him a night. He took his life in this city. Where evil reigns, we have the days of Ahab. Now Elijah, a man from Tishbe, the Tishbite, said to Ahab, You see, though evil and darkness may abound, God always has a plan. Because just like the days of Ahab, centuries before, in the time of the judges, the Israelites, and you can see this in Judges chapter 6, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, verse 1 tells us. In verse 10, it tells us also that because they, what were the evils? They served the God of the Amorites. But it also tells us that because God gave them into the hand of the Amorites for seven years, the oppression they suffered was so much that they cried out to the Lord. The days were dark. The days were evil. So they cried out to the Lord. And what did God do? In verse 7, he says this, because the times were very dark, God, what? He sent them, what? A prophet. However, God, the way God always responds to darkness, to evil that is in a place, is that he sends a prophet. You ask, why Elijah? Because the darker the night, the greater the need of a prophet. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbite, said to Ahab. You see, you cannot tell a famished child when the child is famished and is absolutely hungry. You don't need to introduce him to food. You know why? You know why? Because he has met hunger. If somebody has a debilitating chronic disease, you don't need to read out the CV of a consultant who has a cure. You know why? Because the person has already met with the fatal, the pain of the fatal disease. You do not need a lengthy introduction for Elijah. Why? Because you've already met with Ahab. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe, said to Ahab. You know, this is why their stories are so intertwined, Elijah and Ahab. In fact, sometimes it feels a little bit comical. At one point in chapter 18, verses 17 to 18, 
after a while he had been looking for Ahab, and Elijah then says, uh, uh, so Ahab then says to him, I love this, he says, when Elijah, when he saw Elijah, he said to him, ah, is that you, the troubler of Israel? And Elijah said, I have not made trouble for Israel. You and your father's family have. Another time in verse 20, in chapter, verse 20 of chapter 21, Ahab said to Elijah, so you have found me, Otami, my enemy. He said, I have found you. Because you have sold yourselves to do evil. Wherever you see Ahab, you see Elijah. If there are the days of Ahab where evil reigns, then we know that the days of Elijah are upon us. And you can say, well, what, who is he? What does he do? Why did he go to school? Why, what, is he a person of nobility? Listen, have you not seen the pattern of God? That even in the 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26 to 29, we are told that God does not use the people who are wise according to the world's standard. God does not use people of, of noble birth. God does not use the influential people. God uses the people who are weak to shame the strong. God uses those who seem foolish in the world's eyes to shame those who are wise. If the days of Elijah, Ahab are upon us, then we know that Elijah must emerge. And then you ask yourself, well, I'm not noble, I'm not, I'm not influential. You don't have to be any of these things. If evil is wrecking havoc, you need no introduction. If people have been familiar with Ahab, now, just wait a little bit. They are ready to meet Elijah. These are the days of Elijah. Oh, Lord God Almighty, show us and open our eyes that where evil reigns, oh God, your Elijah must rise up. And so if Elijah emerges, the next question is this. What does he say? And so that takes us to the second point, the word of Elijah. I don't know if you've ever been tongue-tied at the exact moment where you are meant to speak. Where the spirit of tongue-twisting, it hooked your tongue when you are meant to speak. I had one experience. Um, my, the person that has most influenced me theologically, who I read a whole lot more than most people, is a guy called um, Don Carson, a theologian called Don Carson. Oh, I read, I listened to so many of his messages, his teachings, read his books. I love the man so much. His command of scripture, his understanding of how things are put together so much. So I even started to dream about meeting this guy. Like maybe just one day, God, give me just one day to meet this wonderful man of God. Well, actually, that day I arrived in 2014. We had a conference. And he was speaking at the conference. And at some point during a break time or something, we were just walking down. Myself, my wife, and my brother-in-law were walking. We saw him on the other side. I said, we have to cross. We have to cross. And so we crossed. As we crossed, the man was coming. I was just going, going, going. As we just stopped, I just said, Don, I, I do I don't believe you are so wonderful. You've done, it was so bad. And then I don't look at you. I just I said a whole lot of nonsense. My wife continues to make fun of me because that thing. I became tongue-tied. I didn't know what to say. I don't know if you ever found yourself in that situation. For some of you that you are, you know, man, I love this babe, I love this babe, I love this babe. You ask her out, she goes out with you, and then uh, uh, we can't. Marry me? <laughs> we just lose game. If you emerge, will you have something to say? Elijah did not have such problems. For what did Elijah say when he met Ahab? He wasn't tongue-tied. He said this, no rain, no dew for the next couple of years according to my word. And now I must say, what? just because you may be like, man, according to his word, that guy really had power. Well, there are two things I want to quickly say about that. The first thing is this. It was not Elijah's word. It was God's word, but spoken through Elijah's mouth. Now, I can say that because if you just look, remember the Joshua's curse. He said, it was Joshua's curse, but if you look at verse 34, it says, according to the word of the Lord spoken through by Joshua. This is why Paul can say, look, God will judge the secret of men's heart when Jesus Christ returns according to my 
gospel. It's not that he originated with Paul. It's not that Paul was the one that possessed it. It was the gospel of God, which Paul says, calls it sometimes, spoken through the mouth of Paul. Do we understand that? And so when he says that, it tells you something. Elijah is saying, according to the word of the God spoken to my mouth. How do I know this? Because Elijah must have studied Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 16 to 17. What did it say in Deuteronomy 11, 16 to 17? It says this. I can't find it. But I'm sure it's on the screen. All right, this is what it says. Be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods. This is God's instruction to the people of Israel. You worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you. And what will he do? Say it. He will shut up the heavens so that it will not rain and the ground will yield no produce. You will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving to you. Do you know what? Elijah could say that thing because Elijah studied theology. Can I say this? Because there's so much fascination with the prophetic today. And I'm not against it because I actually believe in the gift of prophecy. But a lot of people who are prophetically inclined, go to prophetic schools, all of these things. This is a big problem. People that have dreams, uh, uh, visions, and all of these things, and you take decisions based on all of these things. Can I ask you something? Please, for your sake, for your own life, and all of these things, study theology. Align yourself with somebody who knows theology. Submit your prophecies to someone who knows theology. Because what Deuteronomy further tells us is this, and what Elijah is telling us is this, prophetic accuracy isn't the only sign of prophetic legitimacy. If you read Deuteronomy chapter 13, we didn't put it there, but in Deuteronomy chapter 13, it says this, if there is a prophet who prophesies and sees dreams and the thing comes to pass, it said it comes to pass, but that prophet then tells you, come, let us go after other gods. Do not follow that prophet. He said that prophet should actually be put to death. Do you see? He says the prophecy came to pass, but the theology was wrong. If you have that gift of prophecy, please study theology so that you don't go off the rails. Amen. The second thing I want to say again as an aside is, notice that Elijah's word was a word of judgment. December 31st. Prophecy has come. 98% of the prophecy. You are entering into your good land. You say, I entered into my good land five years ago. You say, you are about to break your fallow ground. They told me that 10 years ago. I still don't understand what that means. My point is this, that the prophecies in a time where there is darkness, it doesn't always make sense if your prophecies are always about good Good, good. In fact, there was Ahab had a problem with another prophet that never said anything good about him, right? Where others were saying bad things. Others were saying good things about him. This guy always say bad things about him. Ahab called him and said, okay, everybody's saying something good about me. Uh, good about me. What did God say? He said, it's the good thing. He said, have I not told you many times that you should tell me only what God said? He said, it's the bad thing. He said, I told you that you are a useless person. The days of Ahab. This is another reason why we must submit it to good theology. That is just an aside. But somebody here is then saying, does this have any bearing of me on me? I don't have the gift of prophecy. Are you talking to me? Turn to your neighbor and say he's talking to you. So it's time for prophetic theology. So it's time for... Uh, well, let's go, let's go. You want it to be talking to you, so let's go a little bit deep today. Just a little bit, all right? We just study some other things about this thing because it's important for it to apply to us. Now, listen to me. There is no modern-day Elijah prophet. There is no modern-day Elijah prophet. By that, I mean, and listen to this very closely, and I'll establish it after. Elijah is the corporate church, not an individual. But we must individually express that corporate call. Elijah is the corporate church, not an individual, but we must individually express that corporate call. What do I mean? Now, if you read the book of Malachi, the last prophet in the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament, he says this, before God comes, before he comes, the great day of the Lord comes, you know what he's going to do? He's going to send who? Elijah. Elijah has gone centuries, centuries before this prophecy has give, been given. 
But he said he's going to send Elijah again before God comes. He's going to restore the hearts of the father to the children, the children's hearts to the father. Okay. So Elijah is meant to do a restoring work before God comes. Literally, this was fulfilled when God came in the person of Jesus Christ, right? And before Jesus Christ came, there was a prophet crying in the wilderness. You know what his name was? John the Baptist. And Jesus said, they asked him, he said, why is it that, uh, should be Elijah is meant to come before God comes. He said, Elijah has already come. But they did with Elijah what they wanted to do with him. He was talking about John the Baptist. And he said, but John the Baptist was not like Elijah. He didn't do many miracles. Yes, but he said he had the signs of Elijah. Why? Because he prepared the way of the Lord. Okay. But then the next question is, is there another coming of Elijah? If there was going to be another coming of Elijah, we should be able to identify this person by certain similarities that Elijah had. And so that takes us to Revelation. You like that? I told you we're going deep. Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. Now, in Revelation 11, let's read 3 to 6. I want to quickly read something. And I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for a hundred, uh, for a thousand two hundred and sixty days, clothed in sackcloth. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes down from their mouths and devours and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have the power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. Can you see hints of Elijah there? Well, if you don't, let me quickly point out three to you. One, they prophesied. Elijah prophesied. Two, they stopped rain from falling. Isn't it? And then three, how long were they prophesying for? 1,260 days. 1,260 days is for two months. For two months is three and a half years. James chapter 5 verse 17 tells us this. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it will not rain and it did not rain on the land for how long? For three and a half years. Yes. So you see this similarity between these two witnesses and Elijah. But then you say, oh, but you know, you are saying something about the corporate church and all of that. Time will not allow me to establish it as deep as I can, but let me quickly tell you this. Because the book of Revelation, right, is a symbolic book, and a lot of the interpretations in the book of Revelation are in the book of Revelation or in the Old Testament. So, for instance, it says that they are... Uh, there are two lamps, uh, two lampstands, is that what it says? Yes. There are the two olive trees, verse 4, and the two lampstands. In the book of Revelation 1, verse 20, what does it say that lampstands stand for? It says this, the mystery of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven lampstands are what? Seven churches. Another clue is if you look in verse 2 of chapter 11, it also says that there was a temple that was going to be destroyed for 42 months. But we also know in the book of Revelation, the temple eventually is the bride of Christ. We also know that the church in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, the church is the temple of God. Another clue here is that when it says the two witnesses were doing certain things, it wasn't saying one witness does this and one witness does this. But they were acting corporately, not individually. Amen. So this corporate Elijah is prophesying. But what do they prophesy? I said that they are the church of Christ in a hostile world. But what do they prophesy? Because you say, well, maybe they, they bring down the judgment of God to fire. You know what happened in Luke chapter 9? Some people were angry. And they were, you know, some of the disciples were angry that some people were doing certain things. And now they have Jesus Christ and they have power. You know, so like, Jesus, these people are our enemies. Do you know what we should do? Let us call fire. Look at 9 verse 54. Let us call fire down from heaven to destroy them. Some manuscripts put as Elijah did. And it says, Jesus turned and rebuked them. In other words, he's not saying that you call down literal fire. What they do is that they prophesy. And that fire is signifying the judgment of God. Just as it says in Revelation 19 that Jesus speaks and a sword comes out of his mouth. It's not like he's issuing knives like that. It is the judgment. It's symbolic of the judgment that comes from his mouth. Are we understanding? And so when he says here that they prophesy. If you read Revelation 19 verse 10, he said the testimony, the spirit of uh, the testimony about Jesus Christ is what? The spirit of what? 
prophecy. In other words, this corporate two witnesses, this corporate church is the church of God bearing witness to the Messiah in a hostile world. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you as well. But be of good cheer. I have what? Overcome the world. These are the days of Elijah. And the church bearing witness to him demonstrate that Elijah is here. And then you say, do we just minister judgment? Because Elijah, is, you know, said it's not going to rain. Now let me quickly explain what that judgment is. Because if it is the church, and we said that they're prophesying about Jesus Christ, then what does that mean? Now the prophetic message has always come, the prophetic message has always come as this. Salvation for turning towards God, but judgment for embracing sin and refusing to heed the prophet's warning. Salvation for turning towards God, you see all the prophets always calling you to turn back. Salvation for turning towards God, however, judgment for embracing sin and not heeding the prophet's warning. So when Elijah comes and says, no rain, he's saying, turn back to God. Let me give you some examples of this. In Luke chapter 10, after Jesus said, we're not going to bring fire down. In the next chapter, he sent them out as two by two witnesses. And they go in and he says, whenever you enter into someone's house, what should you do? He says, eat what is offered if you are welcome. Heal the sick and tell them, tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. But when you enter a town and not welcome, go in the streets and say, even the dust of the, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than that town. It was salvation that came to them, but it was the rejection of that salvation that brought on the judgment. In John chapter 20, 21 and 23, Jesus said, Peace I give to you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you with the same message. And he then says, Whosoever, who, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the verdict, John chapter 3 says. Light has come into the world, but men chose darkness rather than light. He did not come to condemn the world, but to save them. But light came and people rejected it. That is how the judgment comes with the salvation. Are we clear? As we read somebody then says, this is the problem with Christianity. It's too intolerant. It contains judgment. Can't you just talk about love? But listen to me, we are talking about love. If you are presented with the only way to reach a destination that you don't really know. If somebody says, oh, this is the only way to get there and you refuse it on the basis that it is intolerant. Can't there be other ways? You receive the judgment of being lost. And that's why Paul can then say that if our gospel is hid, it is hid to those who are perishing or those who are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded their eyes that they should not see the glory of Christ. I'm begging you here now, as we prophesy, as we say and declare the word of the Lord, stop following the idols that are condemning you. Do you know the meaning of Elijah's name? While everyone was saying that Baal is God and Baal is God, Elijah means Elijah, Eli, Eli, Labal Sabachthani, Eli means my God, my God. Elijah means my God, Jah, Yahweh, my God is Yahweh. And so he's declaring to you that in the midst of all these things that bring about condemnation, salvation has come to you. For these are the days of Elijah. Will you not say, this is my God? Then some people say, well, but the darkness is too steep. Uh, the darkness is steep. Yes, but if you bring your own light, it will be extinguished. Listen to me. If there are people that you know that are in deep darkness, don't offer them a salvation. Don't just offer them something, a good tip here and there. You need to tell them that in the midst of all this darkness, there is a darkness that there is a light that a darkness cannot overcome. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. In him was the life and the life was the light of all men. The light shines in darkness and the darkness cannot what? Overcome it. These are the days of Elijah. Listen, if there is an Ahab, there must be an Elijah. People that are saying, look at the risen Christ and this light. Paul then further says, God has, the God who said, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts 
to give the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Can I plead with you? If you've not accepted this message of Elijah, that God, my way is my God, he offers it up to you now. But can I also say for all of us who have accepted this message, you have no other choice than to prophesy this message. For that is what our world needs. Amen? And that leads me to my final point very quickly. Someone may say, and that's the power of Elijah. Someone may say, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But Elijah, get power out. <laughs> and I don't. I'm not Elijah. I don't want, and I honestly, the truth is, I have found myself in situations, there are friends, there are people that I know probably need this, but I always get tongue-tied. I, I, can I be honest? Can I just be honest? I don't want to be that Christian that talks about judgment. It may lose me respect. It may make me feel, look one kind among friends, among enlightened friends. And maybe I'm just a bit timid. I'm timid, I'm shy. Assuming I had the power that Elijah had, then it would be easy. Because people will see power and they will listen. And maybe you are here today and you're saying that, you know what, you are sort of right. Most of us will not be able to call down fire like Elijah. We're not going to be able to outrun a chariot like Elijah. Eat that, you same bolt. But let me quickly say this. That you cannot sing like Rachel doesn't mean that Rachel is more human than you. It's just that you express your humanity differently. Are we together? That you cannot do exactly what Elijah did doesn't mean that we don't have the same power that Elijah possesses. It just means that we express it differently. Are we together? But you are right with this. We do need to be able to demonstrate power. We do need the power that Elijah had if we are going to proclaim this world. And then somebody says, where can I get it? Where can I get it? Well, remember it says in Revelation 11 verse 4, it says that there are two witnesses. But later it also says something. It says that there are two olive trees. There are two olive trees. What does that mean? Well, for us to understand what that means, let's visit another prophet. His name is Zechariah. And Zechariah, in Zechariah's time, Zechariah's time was the time when the, the exiles that were in Babylon had returned to the land, that land that they were banished from because of their sin. And under the governorship of a man called Zerubbabel, they were trying to build a temple. They were trying to restore the temple. What is the restoring of the temple doing? They are trying to restore the worship of the true God. But men, they faced opposition. They faced opposition in every corner. They were starved financially. They were starved morally. It was so daunting that at some point, the people said, we cannot do this thing again. And Zerubbabel was wondering, how are we going to do this? And then God gave Zechariah a vision. What vision did he give him? It's in Zechariah 4 verse 2 and 3. He says this. He asked me, what do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees by it. One on the right of the bowl and one on the other on the left. And that's what he saw. Listen to me. This is the key that we need. And then you ask, because you see this olive tree supplying the lampstand. You're like, why is that important? Because if we don't understand this, believe me, we will not have what it takes to do what God has called us to do. And you say, what does this thing mean? Maybe I can illustrate with this. Greatest Akokite. Oh, wow. All right, all right. When I was back on campus, um, uh, um, just a few years ago, right? When I was back on campus, one of the wonderful things about being on campus was that, you know, your campus was far. So if you had the privilege, like some of us had, of having a car on campus, it was a good thing. You know, you live the life. You bumped, you know, in the morning, you just went, you may pick up a few people, you tell some people, hey, come on, get out of the car. You know, you tell some people that look the part, you come in, 
Like, hey, how you doing? You know, you got, we're just bumping. You park, you do everything, you come out, you're looking fly, smelling good, all of those things. But there was often a problem, an opposition that came for us to be able to maintain that lifestyle. You know what it was called? It was called fuel scarcity. Some of you may know about that problem. It didn't start today. And when fuel scarcity came, you know what would happen? We started to ration. You see, the first thing that goes is that your air condition goes. You can't do that. The next thing that goes is that you're only operating in gear, in higher gears. If you just do gear one and gear two and explode, no, put it to gear three so that you start. And then you start putting fuel in cakes. You start putting fuel in cakes. If you had a lot of cakes, then you are a big person. But at some point, if the scarcity continued, you know what will happen? The, cake, the, the fuel in the cake will eventually what? Finish. And then your Lexus move to a Lexus. And that happened many times. Unless you were a guy called Toludino. Toludino was my friend. Anytime there was fuel scarcity, Toludino was always just riding his car. AC pumping. And you, you know that in Lagos now, somebody has a final car, they look at you, like, what's your problem? You know, Tolu just passed by. Why is it that Tolu never had the same problem that we had? When we were trying to ration from keg to keg, getting, begging some people, can you give me four liters, help me here and there. Why is it that Tolu was able to keep riding his car, putting on his AC, go anywhere he wanted? I'll tell you why. Tolu's father had a filling station. Listen to me. We need the power of God constantly supplied to us if we are going to do this work. You see, when he saw that lampstand burning, he was like, I will not just be putting kegs of olive oil inside here. How about if I supply you with two olive trees? And therefore, after that, he told Zerubbabel, who is this mountain that shall stand before Zerubbabel? You shall be made what a plain. Why? Because it is not going to be by your might. It is not going to be by your power. But it is going to be by the spirit of God. We do not go out to declare the word of God just for now. Or we go out with what? The power of God. If these are the days of Ahab, then listen, Elijah must come up again. Jesus told his disciples, don't just go and be my witnesses. But you should wait in Jerusalem until what? Power comes from on high. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit what descends upon you. If you truly want to stand as Elijah, get armed with the word of the Lord, but get armed with the spirit of the Lord. You may say, I am shy. You may say, I am timid. That is a very good thing. Why? Because the spirit that he has given to you is not a spirit that makes you timid, but he has given you a spirit of love and of what? Say to me, power and of a sound mind. You say, I don't know what to say. Well, in Luke chapter 12, he said, if you are brought in front of magistrates and people that are hostile, he said, you don't need to know what to say for the Holy Spirit will want tell you what to say in that moment. Listen, the reason Jesus was seen in Psalm 110 and he said about him, he said this, your people shall be willing in the day of your power. These are the days of Elijah. And God is pouring out his spirit once again. If you believe that with me, then let's rise up and pray. Thank you for listening to the gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.